there, just popping in at the top to warn you that this podcast episode may include some language that's inappropriate for young ears, as well as discussions about death. And as always, there will be spoilers ahead. Now enjoy the show. Hey there, welcome to Tear Jerkers. The podcast in which we rate movies on a teardrop scale. Because sometimes you just need a good cry, and we're here to tell you where to find it. I'm Maybelle. And I'm Kimia, and today we'll be discussing ancestor worship, death, and the twang I feel on my heartstrings in the soundtrack to this movie. It's Disney's Coco, which spent more days at number one in the box office than any other animated film in the 21st century. Kimia, how did you come to find this movie? I saw Coco in theaters when it came out, and I just watched it again. Have you seen it before? Yes, I also watched it in theaters when it came out in 2017, and I think I maybe watched it one time after Disney Plus launched, or maybe while it was on Netflix, but other than that, I think that was the same year as well. I haven't watched it since 2017 in its entirety. I've seen clips of it here or there when I'd come home and my roommates would be watching it, but I haven't watched the movie all through and through for a little bit, so I was super excited to get to this. I was super excited to watch Coco as well. Will you tell our audience what it's about? Yeah. So this movie is about a 12-year-old boy named Miguel who, despite his family's generations-old ban on music, dreams of becoming an accomplished musician like Ernesto de la Cruz, his idol. Desperate to prove his talent, Miguel is accidentally transported to the stunning and colorful Land of the Dead, where he seeks the help of his deceased musician great-great-grandfather to return him to his family among the living and to reverse his family's ban on music. Upon entering the afterlife, Miguel meets a charming trickster named Hector, and the two friends embark on an extraordinary journey to unlock the real story behind Miguel's family history. All right, now that we're all caught up on the plot of the movie, let's take a quick break to discuss our sponsors. Okay. Today's episode of Tear Jerkers is brought to you by using your tears as facial toner in your skincare routine. Kimia, do you have any experience with this? I don't, but I'm really curious. Do you have experience with this? I do, mostly as a joke. I've... I've joked often with my friends that um, the secret to my skin is that I cry often and then I just spread the tears around my face as much as possible. And I'm not going to lie, when I'm done crying to a movie, I usually do that. And it just feels really nice and like refreshing on my face to spread the tears around and let it dry. And I think I'm onto something here. I think there's something to be said about using your own tears to replenish the hydration of your skin. Okay, so I was so curious. So I just looked this up and uh, one website says that because tears contain stress hormones and toxins, they're good for your skin in that way. But this other one is contradicting. So I want to do more research. I want to find out if tears really are good for your skin because if they are oh boy I think we should start selling no we shouldn't do that it's a bad idea (laughs) but who knows maybe it's just my tears are very nice I could bottle my own tears and try to sell them because maybe other people like don't want to cry as often as I like to cry And in that case, I could provide the incredibly essential service of crying into bottles and then selling that so that 
people can have beautiful skin. I think I, I think I might be onto something. Yeah. This might be a real product. Yeah, that's a merch idea for sure. <laughs> Coming soon. All right, Kimia, let's get back to the show and discussing Coco tonight. What were some of your thoughts about this movie? I love this movie. This is an excellent film. It's so gorgeous, like visually so beautiful. Um, the marigold flowers and the spirit guides and the city in the land of the dead where all the houses are stacked on top of each other is really, really gorgeous. I agree, actually. I wrote something down about the awe-striking landscape of the land of the dead. Um, I'm pretty sure that in theaters I did cry when I saw the first reveal of the landscape. I didn't quite have that emotional reaction this time. I think that I think that there's really something to be said about movies in theaters and landscapes. Like, Mm -hmm. you can't get the same effect of watching, like, a breathtaking landscape in a movie at home as you do in a theater. Like, I could cry at a mountain range in a movie theater, but the same footage in my apartment living room is just not going to do the same thing. Yeah. I also got emotional. Specifically, the bridge of Marigold Petals Mm -hmm. did did pull something out of me yeah it was gorgeous and I think because I knew what what was happening seeing that and then seeing all the people crossing it was emotional for sure for sure um so my first teardrop moment is at the end of the opening where they explain the family history and they show little baby Coco transition into old mama Coco and just like the the passage of time on her face really struck something for me. Um, I think we can get into it a little bit later, but uh, this movie brings up a lot of feelings about grandmothers for me, as you can probably mm-hmm. imagine. It's a pretty big, pretty big part of the movie. Yeah, yeah. My grandmothers were both aging when the movie came out, and now one of them has passed, and mm-hmm. it's really really heartbreaking when I think about how much I didn't talk to my grandmothers and how much I wish I had and their family histories that I wish I had asked them about while they were still alive yeah I feel very similarly um one of my grandmothers passed away in early 2019 and it was somewhat unexpected although not entirely surprising um but it was a really difficult thing And I still have a lot of regrets about not getting to spend more time with her. Um, I think that... I don't know if you've experienced this when you've reflected on your relationship with your grandmothers. But I feel this incredibly strong sense of both melancholy and wonder at... um, Especially my maternal grandmother... And just how I feel like seeing my mother getting older and seeing my grandmother having gotten old and then passing away. I haven't quite settled all of my feelings about this in words yet, which is why I keep trailing off. But um, but there's something about looking to your grandmothers as like an idea of who you might become in your older age. Mm-hmm. And what is potentially different about your lives, but at the same time, 
uncannily similar, you know? Mm -hmm. There were a lot of things that I wanted to understand about my grandmother that I don't think I'm ever going to get to understand in its entirety. Um, And to a certain point, that lack of understanding would have probably been inevitable just due to the language barrier between my maternal grandmother and me. Like, we both... I could I can speak fluent Japanese, but I couldn't fully understand the dialect that she spoke by the time that I was an adult. Um, her dialect was so distinct from the way that I was taught to speak Japanese that I often needed my mother to translate very simple phrases between us just because of dialectual differences. Mm-hmm. And having a language barrier between that kind of like close maternal relationship can be very difficult. And for the last year and a half or so since my grandmother's passed, I've been thinking about her a lot and about the impact that she's had on my life that I wasn't conscious of as I was growing Mm -hmm. up. And seeing echoes of her and my mother and then seeing those echoes further along in myself as I get older. Um, I have similar experiences in different ways, though. I also have a language barrier with my dad's mom. She speaks Farsi and not very much English, and I speak English and very, very little Farsi. Like, really only the foods and the scolding words and the terms of endearment. Mm. And I've also noticed um, interacting with my mom's mom as an adult has taught me a lot about my mom or has shown me things about my mom that maybe I wouldn't have noticed before and about myself as well. I also teared up a little bit in the beginning when they showed the De La Cruz performance of Remember Me right before he dies, which is also like hilarious comedic. Oh comedy. yeah. Um, but like knowing what that song is going to become over the course of the movie, like that pre-knowledge made me tear up a little bit. It wasn't like a full tear down my mm-hmm. face yet. But it was a little bit of a tearing up moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to speak very briefly about Pixar's new wave of the stupidest animal companions I've ever. What is ever up seen with that? Movies. They're all the same. I... They all have the like the tongue sticking out, the lopsidedness. Why yeah. are we doing that, Disney? I don't love it. I don't dislike Dante. I do actually think that the joke of Dante being the person, or Alebrije, Aleb, nope. I do think that the joke of Dante being the spirit guide for Miguel through the afterlife is, like, funny wordplay. But, like, in general, I I can kind of do without the dumb animal thing. I understand that it's, like, for the kids, though. So maybe I'm just, like, too old to really enjoy it because... It seems like, because it seems like a lot of people seem to enjoy some of these animal companions, and I am fine without them. Like, Hey Hey and Moana, I could have really done without. I really wish that the pig, I, I really wish that the pig and Moana had actually stuck around. But anyway, that's that's a conversation for a different episode. There's absolutely a place for a chaotic animal companion that isn't so dopey and lopsided. Why not a puppy? A puppy... A puppy could pull down the mole from the ofrenda. You know, yeah. a puppy could introduce that level of chaos. Oh, or, I would love that, actually. Yeah, or even just an animal who looks directly at the human and says, I know what you want me to do, and I'm not going to do that. I agree, yeah. I, I am, I... 
Yeah, I agree. I'm a little bit fatigued by this trope that I see a lot, but I understand if it's like not actually for me, it's for a younger audience. Um, and for comedic relief it. in general. And probably for merchandising purposes. They're just all the same. And now I want to see a cut of all of the dopey animal companions together. Mm-hmm. Because we have Dante. If only Dante. we had video editing skills. If only we did. We have Dante. We just talked about Finding Nemo with Gerald and what's-her-name, the bird. And then the chicken mm-hmm. and Moana, like you said. I'm sure there are others. Those are just the ones that we've talked about or seen recently. Anyway, we're okay, on to so you, getting Disney. back a little bit. <laughs> um, my next note is actually about getting your family's blessing to leave the afterlife. And I just wanted to touch on the ancestor worship sort of element that's in this story through the concept of getting your family's blessing in order to leave the land of the dead. Um, I found that, let's just say, a very relatable experience as a person of color I think a lot of communities and cultures of color have ancestor worship. I know that, like, definitely it's not just a thing in Japanese culture, but definitely across a lot of Asian cultures as well as others. Kimia, do you have any experience with ancestor worship or any thoughts about the tropes or how it's represented in this movie? I don't have personal experience with ancestor worship, and to my knowledge, it's not a big thing in Persian culture. It's definitely not in American culture. But kind of one of the weird things about being bicultural and living in only one of those cultures is that you really don't get a whole picture of the other one. Mm -hmm. But to my knowledge, there's no ancestor worship in Persian culture. I don't really have any personal experience. But it did make me think about people whose ancestors were bad. Or flawed, like the characters in this movie. Not um, just flawed, but maybe like explicitly bad. Like if your mother was horribly Mm -hmm. abusive, would you want a picture of her on there? Would you want her to come visit you? Or would you say, get the fuck out? I think it's really interesting um, because ancestor worship is not particularly prevalent in any sort of white North American cultures. Um, I feel like it is somewhat antithetical to the ideals of individualism that we're brought up with in America. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the American narratives usually state things like you have to like prove your family wrong and show them that you're better than what they expect. And that is how you eventually gain the approval of your parents and or ancestors but it's not by falling in line or agreeing with them. And by the end of this movie, Miguel really realizes the importance of family and about why not being rejected by your ancestors, but also by your offspring is important in the ways that the ofrenda and... I'm trying to get at something about how the movie does both. It, like, touches on the importance of family and Miguel learns that like it is more important to be part of his family than it is to be a famous musician but also by the end his family learns like maybe music wasn't the problem maybe Hector getting murdered was the problem yeah that part where he his family's realization only comes after dispelling the myth in the family yes 
if that hadn't happened, they still would hate music. I don't think Miguel would have been able to convince them. They probably would have had a falling out if he needed to pursue music or he would have been unhappy or both. And I think that the idea of ancestor worship is somewhat antithetical to this idea of like rugged American individualism that we've been brought up with. And it's interesting to see this explored in a Disney movie. Um, not a lot of Disney movies or generally like quote unquote, like mainstream American narratives deal with a collectivist mindset in a particularly positive way. But I thought that this movie very interestingly handled writing on both sides of that because by the end of the story, Miguel learns the importance of family and about not leaving them behind and about being remembered. But also his family is proven wrong by the actions that he's able to take by the end of the movie, by this truth that he uncovers about his family's lineage. So in some ways, like, it does both. You know what I mean? Yeah, Miguel was only able to follow his dream after he dispelled the myth in his family that music was bad. Yeah, when, like, it wasn't music that was bad, it was Ernesto murdering Hector that was bad. Yeah, murder's that bad. That was the bad part. It was murder. Also, I I can't believe that, like, okay, sure, Delacruz murdered Hector, but he didn't even tell his widow like, nobody sent word. Nobody was like, oh, this man died. Like, like what, did Delacruz act like he didn't even know that it happened? It he, doesn't he make any sense. He would have had to have known, right? Because they were music partners. He just would have said, yeah. like, oh, sorry about your husband. It's a real bummer. He's my best friend. I'm very upset. Exactly. It is very fishy that he never never says anything to Imelda or Coco and just goes on to become famous. And, like, I understand why Imelda never, like, checks up and is never like, hey, last I heard my husband was with you. What the hell happened to him? Yeah, but... You know, like, that never happens. But that's understandable. Yeah, I mean... But it's super fishy that Delacruz never is like, oh, yeah, he died. Totally accidentally, yep. Well... They don't really discuss how that would have happened, but it was old times, man. What are you going to do? People just die. I guess. And he did have that chorizo. Maybe I... it was the chorizo that killed him. You know, there could have been anything. Yeah. She would have heard I just feel that like... he passed away and then just been angry her whole life, which she was. I guess, but I feel like her anger was out of feeling like he purposefully abandoned them versus... Like, the news of finding out that your husband died on the road, which sucks, but I don't think would, like, warrant a generations-long ban on music, you know? If she had been... Maybe Chorizo. ...so angry that he left and then could have assumed that he died partying, mm, that would possibly. inspire a bit of anger. But we have to make a movie, right? So... Yeah. If it yeah, had been I mean, any more than has that, to happen. Miss... Yeah. It wouldn't have been child appropriate, you know, if it had been more than just he left to go play music, you know, if there was an additional I conflict. Like, yeah, it wouldn't be a kid's movie mm -hmm. anymore, probably. Yeah. So when I saw it in theaters, I'm pretty sure I cried in that scene where the man dies the final death. Um, they show 
Ector's friend from like the slums of the afterlife mm-hmm. and how he dies after the last person forgets him. I think I really did cry when I saw it in theaters, but it didn't make me cry last night when I was watching it. Um, but what did you think about that moment and like what it means to die twice? It reminded me of The Good Place a little bit and makes mm-hmm. me think about my own beliefs about death and about an afterlife. Mm-hmm. To me, living forever in an afterlife sounds like the worst thing. So mm-hmm. an afterlife that ends is kind of appealing to me. It's still sad and it's... I see. Yeah. It's still sad and and to know that he's dying again because he's been forgotten is sad. But then, like Ector says, it happens to everybody. Everybody gets forgotten eventually after civilizations fall. Yeah. And if it can, and if you can only continue on as long as, like, stories about you from people who knew you are passed down, then there's only like I don't know three or four generation time period that you could really likely survive For in the most afterlife. People. The one thing that does make imagine. me sad about that is that each person who goes to the afterlife will not be able to see some people that they remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I don't really believe in an afterlife. So this is just a sadness about <laughs> this particular movie, not about my <laughs> my life or my family. Yeah, yeah. When you die in real life, you die in real life. Yes, yes. Real life, yes. For sure. Um, I think I really started to get the tears going when um, Hector starts revealing who he is and he talks about Coco for the first time as she's forgetting him and he's like shivering, you know, um, that made me start tearing up. And then, of course, when Hector sings the original version of Remember Me, like the tears are just fully streaming down my yep, face. Yeah, that part made me cry. Also, especially when, especially when little baby Coco and the memory joins in the singing. Yeah. Who voices toddlers in Disney movies? I need to have a talk with them. Whose fault is that? That's too cute. That makes me cry. Makes me cry all the time. Like they're tiny little baby voices. I can't handle it. Baby voices singing. Yeah. And and of course, like the final version of Remember Me with old Mama Coco and Miguel when he comes back from the afterlife is just heart-wrenching. And like, that's when I really got all the tears out and I could really slather it all over my face <laughs> and then really feel by the end of the credits, I could feel my face like tighten from all of the tears that I rubbed everywhere during that song. Mm-hmm. That made me cry too. And also at the wrap up part of the, at the end of the movie, when you see Imelda and Hector dancing together, that made me tear up too. For some reason, it reminded me of a couple of my relatives who aren't together. Like, I don't even, I haven't even met my dad's cousin's husband, but their story was a little similar, that he was a musician and she sang while he played the violin. And I didn't know that they played music together until I was maybe in high school. And she sang at a party and I, like, my jaw dropped. I didn't, I cried then. I cried during that party while she was singing because I didn't, didn't realize that that was a part of their story. 
but they've been divorced for many, many years. So it's really not, <laughs> it's not the same story, but just seeing them dancing together reminded me of that and about how many beautiful musical relationships have been broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think my final, final tear-jerking moment was seeing Hector get to pass over the Marigold Bridge for the first time since he's passed away, like, and get to see his family again, and that Coco was there in the afterlife. Okay, also, showing Mama Coco on the ofrenda the next year also gave me a fresh new round of tears because, Mm -hmm. like we discussed earlier recently-ish losing my grandma has made me have a lot of feelings about mortality like different feelings than the mortality feelings I used to get around like other deaths in my life grandma mortality feelings are like an awe-striking heartbreaking but also like at the same time fortifying and life-affirming types of mourning and mortality feelings. I don't know if you can relate to that, but like, I don't know. I, I sometimes think about grandmothers and I just have a lot of feelings. <laughs> I did just write down grandma mortality feelings. Maybe that's a future sponsor. Yes. Yes. Mm. yes. Um, anyway, is there anything I- else that you want to discuss about Coco and how it made you cry? I think we hit everything. We hit the four major emotional points for me. Okay. Did you have anything else? I think I got through everything that I cried about. Um, Grandma feelings, ancestor worship, um, the healing and also emotionally destructive power of music. Toddler voices. Uh, Toddler voices. All right, well, if that's everything we have to say about Coco, Kimio, why don't you refresh the listeners on our rating scale? Okay, we're rating on a scale of one to five teardrops. A one-teardrop movie doesn't make me cry, and it won't make me cry. A two-teardrop movie would make me emotional, but not necessarily cry, or would make me cry if I'm already feeling fragile. A three-teardrop movie makes me tear up or cry a little bit, A four-teardrop movie makes me cry with, like, solid tears running down my face. And a five-teardrop movie is sobs. For me, that's The Notebook, and I will never watch that movie again. (laughs) For me, it's probably Lilo and Stitch. So, based on that scale, Kimia, what would you give Coco? Coco's a solid four for me. I cried in the theater. I cried a little on rewatch, but I know I definitely cried more in the theater. Mm Mm-hmm. I think I'll give it a good five. You know me, I'm just, I'm a huge crybaby and I'm a total sucker for any Pixar movies. They just always get me. So I'm probably going to give a lot of movies fives, just being honest. But yeah, um, what I think might be interesting is do you cry more the first time you watch something or do you, are you more likely to cry the second or third time after you familiarized yourself with the movie? I'm definitely more likely to cry at the first watch when the movie has made me emotionally vulnerable. But on rewatch, I know what's going to happen. And I think I probably like gird my emotional loins a little bit and suck it up. I feel differently. I actually think that often um, 
what movies really get me are the ones that I've seen before and I know what the emotional themes and arcs of the movie are going to be. So then I'll just start crying earlier and earlier in the movie because I'm like, oh, that's going to come back later and it's going to be super emotional. It's not yet, but I'm already crying because I know it's going to be. But that's just me, you know? We're different criers, but we yes, both love we are to different cry. criers. <laughs> Okay, well, now that we've gotten our ratings out of the way, I think we should take a quick break before we get back to our last segment of the show. Let's talk about a sponsor. Our next sponsor is Crying at Funerals. Oh, Crying at Funerals is pretty good. It's a nice group cry. You have a community of people in a room where you're all supposed to cry together. That can be positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can be healing for sure. Yeah. I I don't know. I actually feel kind of weird at funerals. Um, I don't... This might sound paradoxical or counterintuitive to how people might understand me based off of the other episodes of this podcast so far, but I actually don't like to put my grief on display. So sometimes, like, real-life... Um, loss is a little bit more difficult for me to cry about in front of other people than just like something trivial that I can cry about in front of other people. I wonder if that's like a vulnerability defense mechanism. Like I don't feel weird crying about how cute an animal is in front of others because it's kind of funny, but to actually cry about the grief that I feel when I experience loss, um, it's very real. So you would have to feel very comfortable with the people at a funeral and not everybody at a funeral is like someone that you're close to because oftentimes it's going to be a bunch of different people across the person's life. I have a similar experience. A public cry is difficult for me. And at the funerals I've been to, there's always been a little bit of an element of humor or has always been Mm -hmm. some kind of comic relief I haven't been to many I haven't been to many funerals but the ones I have been to haven't been particularly tragic and my family does a lot of storytelling and a lot of laughing as it is and a funeral Mm -hmm. is still feels like a natural place to tell stories and to laugh we've also done a little bit of like inappropriate funeral laughing Mm -hmm. or just inappropriate unfortunate situation laughing and I know some people are really and I know that can make some people uncomfortable because it is kind of rude but I am more likely to laugh at a funeral than cry and I'm very sorry for that sorry if I laugh at your funeral actually I think that would be great I'm all about inappropriate laughter and inappropriate crying and then switching between both very strongly um Sometimes, especially like with grief and funerals, a moment can go from hysterical crying to hysterical laughter or vice versa. Oh, yeah. Then they've done that. I think that that's one of the really interesting things about the kind of heightened emotion at a point of loss like that is that sometimes the feelings are so extreme that we can't really tell what reaction to have. So we'll just flip between laughter and crying. Very true. Um. And when you get to do that together in a group without judgment, it can be kind of beautiful. It really is. I agree. Something that I thought was really beautiful with the tradition of the ofrendas is 
it's a type of death mourning, and it provides space for remembrance, but it's not overly somber, and it doesn't seem like it's very um, uptight about the rules of producing tears to prove your grief. You it's know? very celebratory. It is, and that's something I really like about about. Sorry, and that's something I really like. I wish that more funerary traditions included some aspect of jovial life sharing. I agree with you. Americans can lighten up a little bit at funerals. Yeah. Wow, we could probably do a whole episode about that sponsor, but let's get back to the show. Well, since this movie has a lot of excellently used, very emotional music, I thought that we should try a new closing segment that I'm currently calling Tissue Tunes. Kimia, do you have a song that you like to listen to that really just gets you crying? I'm really glad that we're closing this episode with a segment because this movie reminded me of one of my favorite crying songs, Marigolds by Cursive. The orange flowers in Coco are marigolds, and the song is about visiting someone in the hospital, and the lyrics in the chorus say, Marigolds can often stand for death. The nurse suggested buying baby's breath, which isn't that just like, can you just, baby's breath, the flower that are just like white and sweet and they're called mm-hmm. baby's breath and then someone's dying, but there's, man, mm-hmm. that's it. That one really mm-hmm. gets me going. What's your crying song? My current crying song is probably going to be Telephone Wire from Fun Home, which is a Broadway musical based on the autobiographical graphic novel by Alison Bechtel. Um, It's the song that the narrator, Alison Bechtel, sings as she spends her last few moments alone with her father. Um, In reflection, she sings about wishing that she was able to reach out to him and to touch him in his moments of despair before the events of the show. So yes, my crying song is Telephone Wire. And most of the time when I put it on, I sing and cry a lot. I still haven't seen that musical and I still need to see that musical. You definitely need to see it. It's amazing. And even if you don't see it, just listening to the soundtrack will just give you everything. Okay, I'll give it a listen. Maybe it'll make me cry this week. Ooh, that'll be fun. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's all for this week, folks. If you want to tell us what you thought of Coco, hit us up on Twitter at tearjerkers underscore pod or email us your thoughts. Or if you have any suggestions of movies to watch, Email those to tearjerkers.podcast at gmail.com. I would love to talk about Coco with someone who has a more personal connection to the Day of the Dead. So if you celebrate and you want to talk about Coco, please let us know. If you can please give us a five-star review on whatever you use to listen to us, it would be incredibly helpful in helping us reach more ears. And as always, tell your friends about Tear Jerkers. Tell someone you know who loves Mexican music about this podcast. Or if you know anyone who cries when they think about their grandma, tell them to listen to us. Tear Jerkers is produced by me, Mabel Shimizu, and co-hosted by me and Kimia Ranjbaran. The wizard behind our intro music and the editing hero of our podcast is Gage Pryor. You can find more of his tunes at soundcloud.com slash Lincoln, please. Thanks for listening. Call your grandma. Bye.